welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. So my name is Micah, if we haven't met. I'm uh, one of the pastors around here at Awaken at one of the two parishes we have, one here at West 7th and one at, in Maplewood, Awaken East. Glad you're here. Um, welcome to Christmas Tide. Did you know that it's Christmas Tide? The 12 days of Christmas, also known as? See, a lot of people celebrate Christmas once, and then it's like one and done, and there's this like Christmas hangover, but not at Awaken. We're going hard in Christmas Tide, y'all. Thank you. That's a joke. Uh, <clears throat> But seriously, Christmas tide is Christmas happens, and then of course there's 12 days till Christmas, and the next season of the church calendar starts next Sunday for a thousand Torah points. Does anyone know what the next season of the church calendar is? Nobody. Has to do with light. Epiphany. There it is. It has. It's every. It's Epiphany. It's Epiphany. So Epiphany starts next Sunday. So we go Christmas, 12 days of Christmas, Epiphany, and then Epiphany goes all the way to Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday begins Lent. Did you know that Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day are the same day? So you get to celebrate love and death on the same day. (laughs) Which may be fitting, right, um, for some. So it's Christmas, (laughs) Christmas Tide, Epiphany, Ash Wednesday begins Lent, and Lent goes all the way to Holy Week and Easter, and that leads us into Pentecost. And then there's Ordinary Time. Ordinary Time is where we spend the bulk of our time in the church calendar, and it's kind of fitting that we, we spend the most of our time in ordinary time where we sort of work out the, the implications of this journey that we've been on together. So I've been finding a lot of, um, joy isn't the right word, but just beauty in the church calendar and these rhythms that we participate in. So I'm trying to make that more of our norm around here. So welcome to Christmas Tide. Um, this is New Year's Eve. If you didn't know, tomorrow begins a new year. And so we're going to begin a new journey in the Gospel of John this morning. Uh, if you have been around, awakened for a bit now, you might remember we're in a series we've been entitling Eat This Book, and it's following the narrative lectionary. So the idea is to follow the story of the scriptures from sort of beginning to end with select passages in a year. Um, it's sort of based loosely on the, the revised common lectionary, and each year there's a gospel that's chosen to journey through, and this year it's the gospel of John. And so I would invite you to open to John's Gospel in chapter 1, starting in verse 19, and we will read from there. And I invite you to stand, if you can, for the reading of the Scripture. The writer John says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I were baptized with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man comes after me who uh, has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. 
Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down on and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have, tes- I have seen and testified that this is God's chosen one. Pray with me. God, this morning we gather uh, with all kinds of questions and doubts and wonderings, Uh, all levels of faith. And I pray, it's my desire, that uh, Holy Spirit, you would work, you would move, you would be active in this room, that our eyes would be opened, our ears would be opened, our hearts would be tuned in to who you are and what you're doing, that you might, uh, we might hear and sense and know your invitation for us as we consider this next year of our lives and what it means uh, and who you are. So I pray that uh, those things would happen and that you would give us that gift this morning. I pray in the strong name of Christ and all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. I got some new kicks while I was in California. Here they are, black and white, just classic. Um, nobody noticed them, so I thought I would point them out to you all. While I was in California, um, we took Alaska Airlines, and on Alaska Airlines, you can log in to GoGo in-flight apps and watch movies while flying through a metal tube, flying in a metal tube across the sky. It's a wonder that you can do these things. But it's great for those of you who fly and have children because often they're, um, well, what's, what's the right word? Occupied? And so then you can be occupied. So I decided I would watch Creed, the movie Creed. If any of you have uh, know the story. This is like the continuation of Rocky. You remember the Rocky movies with Sylvester Stallone? Hey, Adrian. Uh, so Creed is like the continuation of Rocky. And in this story, it's the son of Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed was like Rocky's nemesis, his arch rival. And so the son of Apollo Creed finds Rocky. He wants to box. He decides he leaves his job. He wants to be a boxer. And he goes to Philadelphia and he finds Rocky. He's running a restaurant at this point, and so he finds him, and he says, uh, I want a box, and I want you to train me. And Rocky's like, hey, man, I don't do that no more, you know? Uh, <laughs> sorry. I didn't do that first hour. I probably shouldn't have done it second hour. <laughs> Rocky says, I don't box anymore. Like, I'm not into that. Like, I'm not doing it. And the kid's like, well, come on, you know? And he points out the picture. He's like, that's in the 10th tenth, tenth round of the third fight that you had with Apollo Creed. He's like, yeah, how'd you know that? And it starts to kind of like, he doesn't know who he is. He thinks he's just some random kid that walks in off the street who knows who Rocky is and he wants to be trained by him. And then things like puzzle pieces start to fall into place. And there's this moment where Rocky's like, what's your name? And he tells him that he is the son of Apollo Creed, Adonis Creed. And it's like in this moment, what was unknown becomes known to Rocky. And like everything changes because his answer previously was, no, I don't want to train you. And now it's like, oh man. You're like the son of this man that was a huge part of my life, and, you know, uh, and here you are standing in front of me. So what was known now becomes known, and it changed everything. And this is one of those kinds of moments in John's gospel, where what was implicit and sort of spoken about and kind of unknown becomes very clear to those who are in John's hearing, and it's like either you have to pay attention to this new information and, and try to figure out, is this true, and do I believe it, and if so, what does that mean? And so for the reader, you and I, it's one of those moments where we're, we're confronted with or we're presented with a really key part of the whole story. And I think that's fitting on a day where we come to the end of one year and we begin a new year, where we just stop and pause for a moment and think about a few things, maybe more intentionally. Um, this morning, what I want to do is organize our time in three questions. 
Uh, and they come from this text, and I want to try to ask these three questions and sort of open it up a little bit. And I'll be honest, there's sort of three different roads into this passage. It's not like one, two, three, and they all connect to each other, but it's sort of three different ideas that I think this story really brings to the surface. And if you've been around Awaken long enough, you know that questions are actually, they're our friends. We're not afraid of them. We're not scared of them. Questions, when they're asked from a sincere heart, uh, and it's a good question, it's a gift. It's a gift to the, the person who's asking it, but it's also a gift to the hearer, the one who's engaging it, right? Because when you're asked a good question, it forces you to think about things. It forces you to think about why you believe what you believe about a particular topic. It invites you to maybe see it from somebody else's perspective, which is a great discipline for any adult in the world, to actually try to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. So questions are actually gifts. So I want to see if we can look at three questions this morning. And the questions are, who is Jesus? Because this is a passage that asks that question. Um, why is John baptizing people? This is a fascinating one. And then where is Bethany? So those are our questions that will guide our time this morning. Are you with me? All right, here we go. First one, who is Jesus? Some would argue, and I would not disagree with them, that the question, who is Jesus, may be the most important question that you can wrestle with in your entire life. Now, that may seem a little overboard. That may seem a little like outlandish or exaggeratory, but I don't think it is. Who is Jesus may be the most important question that you ask yourself or that you wrestle with. You're going to come up to lots of questions in your life. For those of you that can't vote, someday you're going to be able to vote. Who are you vote for and why? That's a big deal. For those of you that can vote, who do you vote for and why? That's a big question. Um, if you choose to marry, what kind of person do you pursue in marriage? If you go to college, which one will you go to? What kind of job will, or vocation will you pursue? Um, what happens after you die? Is, is there a God out there or is this all there is? Uh, is the Bible trustworthy, right? All great questions, but who is Jesus may be the ultimate question. Because if, it's, if, the, if, if Jesus is who the Bible says he is, the incarnate son of God as a human, then I would submit to you that that's the pivot point, it's the hinge, it's the thing that everything else hangs on. And I don't think it's, it would be a miss if we didn't stop and pause for just a moment this morning. And it may seem very elementary, right? Like we're in church, what's the answer to any question that the, that the teacher asks? Oh, I know, it's Jesus, right? What's gray, has a bushy tail, climbs trees, and eats nuts? Well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know it's Jesus. <laughs> but I want to stop, and I want to ask that question to you this morning, because not everybody comes from the same place, and not everybody is convinced of the same things. Some of you are here because someone you love is here. That's beautiful, actually. That's love of a whole nother kind, and, I'm, and I love to see it. It inspires me. But you still have questions about Jesus. Some of you, you've been circling around this for a long time, and you've been tipping your, your toes in the waters of spiritual communities, and you're wondering, who is this Jesus? And like, is that act, did that actually happen? Like, is this story really true? Some of you thought you had an answer to this question, and now you're not sure, and you're at a place in your life where lots of things are being deconstructed, and you're trying to figure out how to put it all back together in a way that's meaningful for you. Good. That's healthy. It's normal. You're going to be okay. I'm glad you're here. Lots of questions about who this Jesus is, and I just think it's important for us to stop and say, who do you think Jesus is? What do you want Jesus to do? Who do you want Jesus to be for you in your own life? Some of us don't have answers to those questions, and that's okay. But I would be a bad pastor is a little 
bit much. I, would, I don't think I'd be a good pastor if we didn't stop here. And I didn't ask you to consider that question. As you end 2017 and begin a new year, this text walks you right up to the edge of, who is this person? Because all these people who are there, like, right, John's out there, he's baptizing people, and the leaders of the religious you know, group are saying, like, what are you doing out there, and what, by what authority do you do these things? Are you, the, are you the Messiah? Are you a prophet? Are you Elijah? Like, return to us. What is going on here? And John's like, no, I'm not any of those things. In fact, I'll quote from your own scriptures, Isaiah 40, verse 3. We read it in Advent. I'm the one who's showing the way. I'm preparing the way for the one who will come and make the path straight. And then the next day, Jesus walks on the scene. He's like, that's the guy. The one you've all been waiting for, the one who can put it all back together, the one that can heal all the brokenness, it's him, not me. John says, I testify to it. And so I would ask you, who do you say Jesus is? The answer to that question, I think it's a, it's a chart setter. It's a course setter. It's a trajectory changer. And we say at Awaken that Jesus is in the center of this community. It's like the, it's the one non-negotiable. It's the very thing that holds this community together. It's the thing that it's centered around. Jesus is the well in the center. His life, death, teachings, resurrection. It's that, and if it's not that, then this community doesn't exist. And so it's an important one. So I want to stop before we go any further this morning and just ask you to consider, who do you think Jesus is? Is he a good teacher? Is he somebody that has some things to offer but maybe probably isn't the son of God? Or is it true? Is, is it possible that in Christ we see both a divine and human come together in one body and represent, manifest, make known to us? The, 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 Jesus' disciples say, we want to see the Father. And he says, if you want to see God, don't look any further than me. Is that true? When we see Jesus, do we see the heart, the voice, the person of God? Incarnate, infleshed. That's what the scriptures are testifying to. That's, what, that's the claim they're making. Your job is to discern if it's true or not and worth your life. Because either it's true and trustworthy and worth emulation, or it isn't. Second question I want to pose this morning and have you consider is why is John baptizing? And this is a fascinating one. And honestly, uh, there's not a lot of really good answers to this question. Lots of scholars write lots of things about why John is baptizing people, Jews in particular. So I'll just warn you, I'm not going to give you any answers to this question. I'm going to give you a couple good possibilities, but uh, there's a lot of things that we don't know. <clears throat> in order to even get behind this question or unwrap it a little bit, you've got to get in the story, right? So if you're a Jew in the first century, you are a Son of a man who was long, long ago named Abraham. Well done, well done. Wake up, class. You're in class now, right? So if you're a Jew in the first century, you are the descendant of a man named Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, God says, I will bless you, and through you and your descendants, of which you all are part of now, I will bless the world. <clears throat> so the answer, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to edit that out on the podcast, the answer to the question, who are God's people? It's Israel, those who are on the inside of Israel. So why would you need to be baptized to enter into anything when you're already on the inside? That's a fascinating question 
And, it, and, and John, and, and it sort of gets right into the passage of like, why is John out there? And why is he baptizing Jews? We're going to come back to this in a moment. We'll come back to it. Before we, uh, here's two possibilities as to why John's baptizing people out in the wilderness, all right? Um, and both of them have to do with this idea or this, this, this word or image called, this is a mikvah. And a mikvah is like a Jewish ceremonial washing. So like in every town near every synagogue in Israel, there would be these things and they would be filled with water. And there's usually, they called it living water because there was like water that came into the mikvah and then water that left the mikvah. So it was always moving. It was alive. They would say it's living water, which is interesting because I think we hear somebody else talk about living water, right? Anyways, that's a mikvah. And you would go into the mikvah before you went to the temple and you would wash and do these ceremonial cleansings, right? Um, so these are all around Israel. This one is in Gamla. It's in the northern part of Israel. I got to go there, and I actually took that picture, friends. That was beautiful. A lot of fun. So that's a mikvah, and that plays into both of these ideas as to why John is baptizing. The first one is Qumran and proselyte conversion. Oh, man, this is like Pastor Candy. I've been waiting to say that all week long, you know? Qumran and proselyte conversion. What on earth does that mean? A lot of people believe that John the Baptist, BTW, John the Baptist is different than John the Apostle who wrote the book. Two different people, okay? A lot of people think John the Baptist, who this story is about, is actually part of a group of people called the Essenes. The Essenes were one of a number of groups of people in ancient Israel, like a sect, S-E-C-T. Very important that you enunciate on that one. A sect of Judaism. And these people were like... uh, They were separatists. They literally would move outside of the city because they felt like Judaism, as it was understood by the temple and the system, was compromised. And it wasn't doing what God wanted it to do. And so they move outside and they set up these communities called Essenes. And they would, um, like holiness and purity and ascetic lifestyle. So uh, they would sort of deny the pleasures of day-to-day life as a way of living out their purity and holiness, right? A lot of people believe that John the Baptist was a part of an Essene community, okay? Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Dead Sea Scrolls were found in a place called Qumran. Qumran and Essenes, same thing. Many scholars believe that the group of people who had the Dead Sea Scrolls in Qumran were a group of Essenes. And as you read the Dead Sea Scrolls, it becomes very clear very quickly that there was something called proselyte baptism or proselyte conversion. So somebody from outside of the community would come into the community by way of immersion baptism. They would be immersed in waters and there would be some kind of conversion that took place. One Jewish writer says it this way. This is beautiful. Stick with me. Jewish tradition prescribes a profound symbol. It instructs the conversion candidate to place himself or herself in a radically different physical environment, in water rather than air. This leaves the person floating momentarily, suspended without breathing, substituting the usual forward nature and purposeful stride that characterize their waking movements with aimlessness and weightlessness, a detachment from the former environment. There, individuality, passion, ego are all submerged, wait for it, in the metamorphosis from larval state of the present to a new existence. It's like a caterpillar, right? You've all seen this happen in nature, where a caterpillar enters this space, and then on the other side of it comes out a new being. It's the same idea in ancient Jewish understanding of this ritual, where someone would enter the waters, and they would literally, in in the mikvah, they would not touch any of the surrounding edges. They'd be floating, but totally submersed in water. So it's like 
the water gets everywhere. There isn't any part of you that it can't touch. And out of this experience comes a new person, so to speak. So why is John baptizing people? Why is he calling them outside of what they've experienced to this new place in this baptism of repentance? Some would argue that John's an Essene, and he understands proselyte conversion baptism. And so he says, if you want to experience this new thing that God is doing, participate in this ritual of baptism by being immersed in the water where you're buried and out comes something new. So that's one option, all right? Another option is this idea of the consecration of priests. In ancient Israel, in Exodus 24 or 29 and 40, there are two passages that talk about what happens to the priests before they become priests, all right? Now, stick with me. There are 12 sons of Jacob, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes are the Levites, and a male born to the tribe of Levi is automatically a priest. Like, that's what they do with their lives. They serve the people in the temple by being a priest. And when a priest is about to become a priest and, like, start their service and their ministry, they participate in a ritual. Exodus 29 and 40 tell about it, where that priest is baptized, fully immersed, for the service of or, or into the priesthood that will serve the people. So is it possible that John knows that how God's people is, will function in the world is about to change? And he's saying, like you know priests are baptized into a priesthood, there's going to be a new priesthood of believers in Christ. And it's any and all who by faith repent. So come out and be baptized into this new way of being the people of God in the world. So those are two possibilities as to why John is out there baptizing people. He's out there saying, come, this is a baptism of repentance, for the kingdom of God is near. He's preparing people for what's about to happen in Jesus. Now, even more interesting, if you thought this was boring, which how could you? I mean, gosh, this is just fascinating stuff. Why is he baptizing Jews? If you're Jewish in the first century, your, your answer to the question is, I'm already in. I don't need to be baptized into anything. I'm a son of Abraham. I'm, I've got my stamped card to prove it. But John's saying, no, you and you and you and you, come out and be baptized. Why is he asking Jews, Israelites, on the inside of God's people to come outside and be baptized into something new and fresh? Is it possible for people who deem themselves on the inside of the story to miss the point? Said differently, have you ever been a part of a structure or system that actually blinded you to something that was right in front of you? And I don't know about you, but religious communities have a knack for this. Where some things get so insulary and turned in on themselves that they become blind to what God is doing right in front of their faces. And I'm not making a one-to-one correlation with what happened to Israel and what's happening to us in the church or what's happening to you. But I just think it's a fascinating moment when John says, you who think you're in, you who think you know what God is like, you who think you represent God in the world... Actually, come on outside, because what's happening is new and fresh, and there's a wave, and there's a spirit at work among you, and it's right in front of your eyes, but many of you can't even see it. Something to consider. The third question I want to ask, and maybe that's a perfect segue to the last one, which is, where is Bethany? 
because this only furthers the point. In Joshua, chapters 3 and 4, the Israelites have left Egypt. Moses has brought them. Hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. They've wandered in the desert for 40 years. That generation has died. Moses has died. Joshua has taken over. And the people are on the precipice. They are on the brink. They are on the edge of going from outside the land to inside the land. Do you remember the promise that God gave? I will bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey, also known as the promised land, right? They're on that journey, and they are right on the edge. In Joshua chapters 3 and 4, and they're camped. And God invites them to cross over a river. It's called the River Jordan. And move from outside of the land to inside of the land. The word Hebrew, in Hebrew, means to cross over. So God is inviting the people of God, the Hebrews, to actually do their name. And by crossing over this Jordan River, enter into and receive their own name and who they're destined to be. Anybody want to level a guess as to where they were camped before they crossed over into the land? John, the writer, makes this bizarre comment. Verse 28, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. Map, please! From the Mediterranean to the Jordan is the promised land. It's Israel. It goes north and south, but it's pretty skinny. On this side of the Jordan River is, in fact, Jordan, modern-day Jordan. That's outside of the land. When the Israelites were camped, most scholars argue that they are just above Bethany, beyond the Jordan, that the whole, camp, the whole Israelite community is camped right outside Bethany, beyond the Jordan. And when they enter the land, when Joshua, and this is a crazy story, friends, if you've never read this, the whole Jordan River stops up about 20 miles north and all the way to the Dead Sea, and they walk across the Jordan River on dry ground, like for the second time. So this is a huge moment. And they build this, this 12-stone temple, like uh, um, it's an Ebenezer. Like, remember this moment, remember where this happened, and they build this monument where it happened. So when John, the apostle, is writing, and he says, John the Baptist is outside of Israel at Bethany, beyond the Jordan, inviting people to what? cross over the Jordan into something that God is doing, do you think they knew what he was talking about? Do you think they had any sense of what was going on? Just like before when God, our Father, was inviting the Israelites to move from here to there, to cross over and become a new people in a new land, that God is doing something new and fresh. And John is outside of Israel now, inviting you, Israel, to cross over and to receive this new thing that God is doing. And how do you receive it? Baptism by being immersed in this cocoon, in this womb of water, where on the other side you emerge a new and changed person. This is the power of baptism. This is why it's so divine and mysterious and hard to understand. But it's this metaphor that we've been hanging on to for thousands of years. Bethany, outside of the Jordan. So here we have John the Baptist calling these people, a new baptism, a, a, a baptism of repentance for this new work that God is about to do before their very eyes in this person called Jesus the Messiah. So as we close this morning, and as you consider 2017 and this new year in front of you, a couple of questions I want you to maybe sit with today. We saved most of the music for the end here because we wanted to invite you to a time of response. And I'd like you to think about a couple of things and maybe respond to one of them or more of them. The first is, who is Jesus? 
Many of you are here this morning and you don't have an answer to that question. And that's okay. I don't want you to feel like bad or shame or guilt, but I just want you to sit with that. And take as long as you need, and we're not going anywhere. You can do it with us. We'd love to be here with you. But who is Jesus? That's a, that's a big one. So maybe this is a moment where you spend some time just considering, what do I believe about this guy? Was he the son of God? Was he not? What does that mean? Even if you say no to that and you're going to emulate your life after somebody, Jesus is a pretty good option. So who is Jesus? Second, I would say, what about this metaphor of baptism is speaking to you today? For some of us, something needs to die and something else needs to be born. And this is life. This is the spiritual life. It happens like this all the time where something in us is holding back something that's being offered or we're being invited into and we have to let something die in order for something else to be born. And what better metaphor than one of baptism where you're buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. And so maybe this morning, you're saying yes to something about something's got to change in my life. Or maybe there's a moment where you just want to remember the baptism that you've experienced. So many of you have been baptized. And that was a moment in your life, a, a, a point, a, a, something changed, or something was claimed and named in you as an infant or a young person, and you're now living into that. So remember that. Don't forget it. So in just a moment, uh, I'm going to invite John Mark and the band to come up, and there's going to be a couple of options. Our prayer space is over here on my right, your left. You're always invited to use that whenever we gather. There will be people there to pray with you if you'd like, or you can just pray by yourself. You can write on the walls in there, so if you want to write something, feel free to do that. In the back, there are candles behind in the gallery space. For thousands of years, the church has been lighting candles as a symbol of prayers and desires and longings that we offer to the Lord. Um, you're free to do that. In the front, there are two stations here, and I want to invite you to remember your baptism, to come and like feel the water on your hands and either remember the baptism that you've received or connect it to whatever it is you feel God's inviting you to, for something to die and something to be born. So you'd, you're invited to come and just hold your hands over the basin and we'll pour that water on it and say, for you're buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. And sometimes like, we think something in our head but then to actually connect it to our bodies and our physical posture, it takes it another click deeper. And so I want to invite you to do that, to actually get up and do something with what you're thinking and, and, and you think God might be inviting you to. So I'm going to offer a word of prayer in a moment of silence, and then we'll sing. The prayer space will be open. If you want to come down and um, participate in this, I just ask you to come from the sides and come to one of the stations and then return to your seats down the center aisle. So let's pray. God, this morning, we gather as a group of people, um, and we declare that you, Jesus, are in the center. And as we wrestle with what it means to be your people, as we wrestle with what you're doing in our midst, and our capacity to see and hear you inviting us and moving us, encouraging us, God, we want to be open. And so just in this next few moments of silence, I invite you to consider, what do you sense God's Spirit inviting you to? I want to give you the gift of stopping long enough to hear your own breath. And maybe in doing so, the still small voice of the Spirit 
nudging, inviting, encouraging you. So just for a few moments. As you leave today, on the eve of a new year, maybe a new season, remember, remember that you're loved. Remember that you belong before you do anything. God says, I love you. Receive that. Remember that. Remember your baptism if you've been baptized. This moment where God was present, where something new emerged. And remember that the Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord lifts up his face to shine upon you and is gracious unto you. The Lord lifts up his countenance to you and gives you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Happy New Year, my friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.